1: For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
2: Truth and movies from Little White Lies. Today, Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Yes, it's another Guardian podcast. Flicks with 70s hits decidedly mixed, say critics. But is it just young, dumb and full of gun? We give our thoughts. We also talk favourite movie soundtracks, Spice World, obs, but what else? And salute Lady Macbeth. Florence Pugh goes from bodies to bodies in William Oldroyd's punishing drama. It's all in this first ever Truth and Movies podcast. Establishing shot, interior, three men sit around a table. They are David Jenkins, Adam Woodward and James Richardson. It is Shoreditch, then someone speaks. Hello everybody and welcome to this inaugural Truth and in Movies podcast. I'm here with David Jenkins, very much the editor of esteemed movie magazine Little White Lies. Hi. Hi to you. Hi, hi. And your digital counterpart, Adam Woodward. Yep. Hi. Hi to He's you. He's not digital. He's not a hologram. Right, okay. No, that's a fair point, no? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, you yeah, should, yeah. should establish
0: that. He does the that. online stuff, which yeah.
1: is, what's the website? Uh, it's lwlies.com. Right, lwlies.com. Okay. Does anybody know what the title means, Little White Lies? That's a, uh, a very closely held secret. Okay, all right. Which We we may reveal it in a future pod.
2: What are we doing with this podcast? What's the idea here, David?
0: So, yeah, we're a movie magazine, Little White Lies, and we've been going for around sort of 12, 13 years now, and... Um, yeah, we've primarily been a print publication and then we've expanded it online and now we want to talk movies via the podcast Very medium. By the way, if you want to talk back
2: to us here at Little White Lies, you can do so via the website, Adam was just mentioning, lwlies.com. You can also uh, get in touch on email, truthandmovies, or one word, at london or one word.com. Or you can follow Little White Lies on Twitter, which is always a good idea because you guys put up all sorts of interesting things. And the uh, Twitter handle is at lwlies. Looking forward to hearing your reactions, I think, uh, to this debut show, which begins with... Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, eagerly anticipated sequel. This one, out on Friday, the 28th of April, and set to the backdrop of awesome mixtape 2. Uh, this sees the team's adventures continue as they unravel the mystery of Peter Quill's true parentage. It features Peter Quill, played by Chris Pratt, also Vin Diesel's along, Dave Bautista, Bradley Cooper, Zoe Zaldana, Michael Rooker. Uh, they're all back, basically, for this and here's a little clip of the action.
0: All right, first you flick this switch, then this switch. That activates it. Then you push this button, which will give you five minutes to get out of there. Now, whatever you do, don't push this button because that will set off the bomb immediately and we'll all be dead. Now, repeat back what I just said. I am good Uh-huh. I am good That's right. I am good No! No, that's the button that will kill everyone. Try again.
2: I am Groot. Mm-hmm. I am Groot.
0: Uh huh. I
2: am good.
0: No, that's exactly what you just said. How is that even
2: possible? Fine performance <laughs> there from from Vin Diesel. One of his best, I would say. Now, David, <laughs> you you reviewed this, uh, and your line was, uh oh, it's like your uncle wearing a Sonic Youth T-shirt. What does that mean?
0: Well, I guess my feeling about this and, and maybe this extends to the entire Marvel Universe galaxy solar system is that, um, that, that there is a definite kind of like attempt to attempt to be cool, attempt to be down with the kids, attempt to sort of talk in a way and act in a way that's really like hip and happening, but never really quite comes off for me. You know, they got the look. But right. they don't really have the the credo behind it that's backing it up, the real kind of the passion, the soul the the spirit you it's know a,
2: it's an empty corporate shell of hypnosis you think I think so Adam, yes. you're demonstrably down with the kids, so do you agree with david <laughs> i I'm inclined to I think in this really in this case, yeah um, did you notice that the rather older guy next to you was having a terrific time during the film?
1: There was a chap sat behind me who was whooping right. with, with every sort of eighties reference, and they ranged from sort of Pac-Man to Knight Rider. Mm. Uh, and all the all the music, which That's will come a big onto range. later, which yeah. is a big range, and 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 yeah, I think it was just that instant recognition of, I, I get that reference, and and there's the joke basically.
0: Right,
2: I, I was actually ringing to myself because I I right. really enjoyed this film,
0: but you know what, I actually thought because I was sitting in front, yeah. and I could hear this man whooping, and I uh. thought. That's James. He's having an absolute ball. I'm so pleased. There you go. Were you ha- You were having no, a ball, No, I, I did
2: enjoy it. Um, I feel you guys should do more of that reviewing stuff first, and then I'll say what, what I think. But, I, I mean, I can say it now if you like. You
0: should just say it.
2: I'm just going to come out with it. I actually enjoyed this one more than the first one. I know that this one didn't have the, the kind of surprise that a lot of people felt like, wow, this is a bit outside the normal Marvel paradigm, which is one of the reasons I enjoyed the film as For me, the, the first one kind of traded on goodwill that it hadn't actually earned yet because we never met the characters before and they sort of turned up expecting us all to love them just because they had a funky 70s soundtrack or actually a pre-funky 70s soundtrack, which is quite quirky in itself. This one, because I was already familiar with the characters, actually I, I really got off on the humour and I thought Bradley Cooper, I, I can't think of a finer film vehicle that he's had probably not since uh wet hot american summer it's a film with vin diesel which is watchable which is quite an achievement and uh, i thought it was funny wasn't too bothered about the plot but it,
0: it's kind of a, a throwaway film the interesting thing is that with the first one i, I remember when it was announced and prior to it coming out i anticipate I, I mean I, I don't know if i speak for everyone here but certainly from my standpoint anticipation was not high and I think that the first film was was successful because it was quite like it was like oh that right. film that we had really no expectations for is actually pretty solid and and quite funny and has some good tunes in it.
2: Right. So your review, basically slating this movie, is all about allowing people to enjoy the sequel. I wasn't I wasn't slating it. Do you think? I, I think it did come across quite negative. I think you gave it two on our in your special ratings. I think you gave it a two out of, of five. Is
0: that right? Two two in retrospect. I think Marvel films in general. Are a kind of an instant sugar rush. Right, They're, they are a kind of boom in the moment. Your eyes are uh, eyes are kind of firing up, but then when you when you've left the cinema, you're not thinking about the film. Right, there's, there's no there's no there's nothing to gnaw on. Okay, it's pop culture, basically. It really is. Okay, yeah.
2: but I I would argue very successful pop culture. Adam, mm. I think it's very
1: successful in what it does, which is essentially glean all of this cultural cachet from. I, as, we, as we talked about earlier, so many different references. The problem, I think, is that it doesn't really try and do anything interesting or original or particularly inventive with that. It's just throwing stuff in there for people to, to recognise.
2: Um, the, the jokes aren't particularly well-crafted in that sense. Well, ah, that's interesting because you, you mentioned in your review the fact that James Gunn, the director, is his comic timing. Uh, or at least the, the way he's put the, the the lines together, I think the payoffs are actually really funny, and I think that was, I thought that was maybe one thing we'd all agree on. That I think the delivery of
1: the jokes, the mm. scripted jokes, is very very good, and and um, we talked about Dave Bautista is amazing. His comic timing is just spot on. I think he he
0: works best more as a as just a general comic presence. You know, he's yeah. he's just he's just he can say anything and it will sound quite funny. Whereas I think a lot of the other characters have air quotes lines that they have to like. Did you think Bradley Cooper was funny? No, I didn't really? laugh at Bradley Cooper once. Did you laugh
2: at him in the first one? No,
0: no. Oh, I, wow, I, I okay. mean, it, for me, there was nothing there. It was try-hard and silly and... Really? OK. Hard, yeah, you... no, didn't... Bradley Cooper, no, he's, he's not a funny man. OK.
2: Oh, I'm, I'm, okay. Got, <laughs> it's, it's opinions, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I thought that the chemistry, that the casting in this was really good because I think uh, Dave Bautista's great. I personally enjoy Bradley Cooper, but, you know, get why you maybe wouldn't. Curiously, when I saw the first film the first time i didn't enjoy him it was only when i re-watched it that it came alive for me so i, I don't know for, for me it got two thumbs up mm. but if you want to use a slightly less stone age uh, rating system <laughs> can you can there be more than two thumbs up yeah
0: is it just one one or two or zero as i say that's a bit binary isn't it yeah.
2: let's um in in your excellent magazine little white lies uh, and website uh, you employ a rather radical rating technique. Could could you just explain a bit more? to
0: Sure. Yeah. So we we instead of having a simple five star review, which is, it covers the entire movie experience, we uh, uh, sort of segment that up a little bit and have an anticipation score right. out of five. How much are you looking forward to seeing right. this movie? From
2: like going to a funeral, which would be like yeah zero one
0: zero one two two maybe if yeah. you like fun- funerals, and then enjoyment, which is very which is intended to be your um, experience in the moment of mm. actually seeing the film, that kind of, you know, I think what Marvel movies are all about is that kind of in the moment sugar rush. And then in retrospect, which is like l- when you've left it to, to to mature a bit in your mind, right. you've had a time to ponder. And then you kind of, you you get to see the kind of, uh, uh, the enjoyment over time. Mm. Mm. It's yeah. a it's a graph. Yeah, you know? I, li- I like that. Okay, mm. so what would your numbers be for this? Uh, so my my anticipation was three, which is quite kind of measured, I guess, uh-huh. because I think that all Marvel movies are essentially the same. That's maybe a a, a, a conversation for another day. But like, um, <laughs> uh, but but yeah. So anticipation is 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 modest. I would say right. personally. Okay. And then in in the moment, it's a it's a long film. It's two thousand fifteen. It took a very long time for me to realize that the story had started and that this this is this was actually this is the re- you know there's lots of like these people are doing some things over here and well, then the these, the these over here and it's all kind of tease until you get to a point it's like oh that's the story oh okay fine
1: it's essentially a film made up of subplots and you talk about the chemistry of the ensemble and I'm, and I'm with you there yeah and i like a lot of the characters mm. but they kind of go their separate ways a little bit in this film come back together at the end you're never really sure who you're meant to be following or whose story you're meant to be more invested in. Mm. And the theme of this film is sort of family, family reunions. And everyone has their their respective uh, paternal, maternal and sometimes sibling issues going on. Right. We we eventually get to kind of resolutions with all of those. But by, by the time all that arrives, I just couldn't find myself caring
2: about really any, any of it Really interesting. Yeah. Okay. Because I would agree with you, but I think you may be, viewing the film in the wrong context the, the plot in this is is just a giant MacGuffin, if you will it's right. it's all there to enable this dysfunctional family dynamic to play out because that's where the fun is that's where the laughs are and i think that's clear from the word go when you have this opening sequence which sets up as a kind of classic action movie showdown between this vast tentacled creature and the assembled guardians and james gunn the director As soon as the alien arrives, basically just takes the camera off, focuses on the baby Groot figure and lets his dance to ELO's uh, Mr. Blue Sky occupy centre stage. While you just see kind of bits peripherally of this vast action scene taking place in the background. He's—I Essentially, it's not about the action. It's about the characters. It's about the laughs. One thing, listening to that clip of baby Groot there with Rocket, you might think, is baby Groot really annoying? Did you think he was an? I quite liked him.
0: Oh no, I, I I would say that I I thought he the Baby Groot character worked. If anything, I I thought there was less of him than I thought there would be. Really, right. he has kind of maybe three sort of meaty moments in the film, and I mean, you know, I think that's maybe a, a sign of of the sort of dearth of quality of the writing in that they they maybe couldn't think of some more ways to incorporate him into the movie, right. um In a, in a more meaningful way, but. Um, you know, I think that there's, there is a sort of a sketch in the middle of the film involving Baby Groot, which was the highlight of the film. Okay. And, and it's a, a really nice... It's one of those... It's just a really nice sketch that involves good writing, good editing. Is it when he's fetching things? It's when he's fetching when he's things. Fetching yeah. things.
2: All right. But going
1: back to that opening sequence, mm. the way James Gunn stages the action off camera is such a clear nod to the fact that this is just about the jokes. Yeah. And yet the film actually unfolds in a way where the action is very much at the centre of it. And, and it kind of, I feel like it it sets out its stall in
2: that opening scene and then doesn't really deliver on that. Okay. All right, so your score's worth three for anticipation. And then while you were watching it? It was three.
0: It was it, three while you were just, watching it? was maybe two and a half. Two and a half, <laughs> okay. So I'm giving it the benefit of the doubt. And now? And now I'm I'm sort of two. I'm just, really? I, I mean, the fact You that, regret. The very it. fact that we can maybe have this conversation yep. about it and that it's still in my mind- Yep. In in a, in a semi-fresh way, I think would would prevent it from being a kind of a complete write-off. But like, if someone said, if if I was on like a long-haul flight, yes. and that was the only film that I could see, I, pr- I probably would like read the the safety card really? or something. Well, having already seen it, yes, yes. You wouldn't rewatch. It? No, no, there's no. There, there it's would... actually
2: an interesting measure. On a flight, would you watch yeah. this again, Adam? You're on a flight. I would. Well, I would watch this again. I think. I mean, my
1: expectation was was quite high. I quite liked the first film. Um, it felt. Like a bit of a palate cleanser, felt yeah. quite refreshing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Marvel movies, especially up to that point, had had become very serious, and this one, you know, it, it was it was uh, admittedly a two-hour uh, sketch or series of sketches, uh, but it did it did its job really well. And this one sort of does the same thing. Hmm. Um, so I, I was sort of expecting quite quite a lot from it, and we'll give it a four expectation. I'd give it maybe a, yeah, I'd give it a four. I'd probably say three for enjoyment, right, and maybe a three for in retrospect as well. Okay. The one thing that really depressed me about the film was that in the screening we were at on Monday, uh, Monday evening, James Gunn, the director, was, was sort of on stage beforehand, and he said it was a film made about outcasts, for outcasts. Did he say that? Yeah. And I think that's totally disingenuous. Like, the idea that these, these characters are outcasts in the context of the film. But right. This film, for me, is the, is the epitome of the the kind of commodification of geek culture and that that is right the way through the film and also the marketing campaign which is obviously mm. heavily focused on the soundtrack all, all the kind of references to stuff i mean that one, one of the posters um is uh, is a kind of nod to the ramones rocket to russia uh, lp and you know that's not necessarily part of geek culture but it's certainly more of a, a more of an outsidery thing and that sort of feeling that the film thinks it's quite punk and quite cool is that not a sign that the geeks have essentially inherited the earth yeah and but but this is basically it feels like this is uh, as good as it, as it gets for for these films like this is it's not trying to really push it that far okay it's giving you something which is is as david said earlier a real sort of in the moment sugar rush um that really you know you don't really take much away from it and i don't know i just think it, I'd like to see these films trying to be a bit more ambitious i would recommend it to people who like these films all right and not
2: recommend it to people who don't like these films that sounds fair i myself was not anticipating a great cinematic experience uh particularly after an hour we sat while the dj tried to whip up enthusiasm for the first films uh, thing but so i wasn't very uh, up for it when the yeah. film started loved the film feel a bit sheepish now that clever people have told me I shouldn't have, but I think I would still give it a three going in, a four at the time, and a four and a half in retrospect. No, I'll give it a four in retrospect. See it, I would say, but clearly at your own peril. Um, Anyway, speaking of scores, uh, the soundtrack is, of course, key to this movie and its its whole character. So, in a second or two, we're going to be talking soundtracks. (laughs) Sweet sound of Richard Jupp out of Elbow on the drums there. That's right. Hey, anyway, so like soundtracks, uh, which this mixtape thing that they've got going on, which quite cleverly they've they've go, they've gone pre-funk. They've they've kind of mined a, an almost untouched strata of musical history with all the, the kind of early seventies classics. Um, it's a. I don't know if it's a little bit cynical, but it does work. It's a kind of shortcut to sentiment, a war, you know pre-made fuzziness. Interesting fact about the first Guardians of the Galaxy, and mm. this is
1: actually from a, an interview I did with James Gunn at the time. He, he basically said that he downloaded every song that charted in the 70s, ended up with this mega playlist, which he whittled down to about 100 songs, of which ultimately some made it onto the soundtrack. But this was actually at the script stage. Um, so he actually wrote a lot of the film with these songs in mind. Right. Um, which I think is a great, you know, a great idea. And and now it just feels like yeah we're sort of a few years in, and another film down the line, and suddenly it's become this uh, I don't know quite cynical marketing exercise.
2: But that actually to to me makes it sound quite organic the way the way that he's approached this. Well, initially, and yeah. I
1: wonder whether you know the the success of the first film very much seemed to depend mm. on that mixtape volume one, and and this new one you know people are talking about the the mixtape or the the new soundtrack as much as the film right um and you know the 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 film production company have clearly not missed a trick on that uh really kind of heavily pushing that
0: one of the things about this this film actually that i think is quite strange is that i found myself enjoying the music much more than than hearing the music with the visuals you know like hearing george harrison's my sweet lord which is a song i'm you know, partial to. Mm-hmm. It was nice to nice to sort of be in a big room and hear that song and whether there was some sort of like crazy psychedelic visuals happening right. at the same time was kind of apropos, nothing.
2: Did you, The crazy psychedelic visuals at that moment are actually the biggest visual effect ever made according to the people who made it. Never. Apparently so. Mm. Interestingly, the first soundtrack album was the first ever soundtrack album consisting entirely of previously released songs to top the US album charts i mean the, the soundtrack album this kind of jukebox soundtrack is yeah. something that's been done brilliantly before tarantino's famous for it i think that um danny boyle is another mm. famous exponent i mean train spotting is is it does it always work that way though with the director basically going that sets the tone that's the tone i'm looking for or or is it usually that the record company comes in and says hey can you shift these songs for us
1: i think it works probably both ways uh uh-huh uh certain directors martin scorsese wes anderson's another one uh, they seem to essentially use these songs as jumping off points uh at the script stage you know they they really work them into the into the film in 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 ways which yeah feels organic and actually has uh, some some bearing or some relevance to the actual story right um one of my personal favorite soundtracks is um gross point blank right great 90s film john Cusack Uh, that film opens with an amazing scene of John Cusack lining up uh, to essentially assassinate a guy. Um, And as he's kind of looking through his sight, the song I Can See Clearly Now comes on. And I mean, that that use of that song perfectly encapsulates the the mood of that film, the tone of that film. And it also sort of talks um, a a bit about the character, reveals something about who that character is. Mm. Um, I just felt like with Guardians of the Galaxy 2, James Gunn doesn't really nail that. You know, the, the songs for me didn't really marry up as well with the action and what's happening. Um, there's a few uses of, of, of songs as well. The Cat Stevens song, Father and Son, mm. I mean, it's a little bit on the nose, isn't it? The a the bit words. heavy-handed, you yeah, feel? A little yeah. bit, yeah.
2: Um, we, you guys put out a shout on the Twitter for great soundtracks. There was a lot of love for Gross Point Blank and its yeah. kind of 80s vibe, uh, 80s English Vibe,
1: yeah, there's, there's sort of the clash, and yeah, you know, it's that, that kind of other
2: thing? other much nominated films included 500 Days of Summer. Uh, somebody had a sh- shout out for Shrek, of course, till the end of the world. The Vin Vendors one, oh, yeah, uh, Donnie Darko, The Big Chill, Scott Pilgrim. Uh, oh, yeah, Casino. You mentioned Scorsese, Alma Brown saying that the scene where S- Sharon Stone seduces Joe Pesci to BB Kings, the thrill is gone, of course, from uh, Goodfellas, fantastic soundtrack there i'm amazed nobody's mentioned everybody wants some because i don't think there's a film in which the soundtrack played as big a part of my enjoyment Mm. as that one i I mean maybe you needed to be a certain age when you saw that but that was just because none of those songs i was expecting to pop up in a in an american film a richard link later film suddenly got pop music by m or or or, uh tainted love by soft soft so i was just glorious that that's my favorite
0: I, yeah, I love the idea that he's kind of, instead of thinking like, what songs do I love that I just want to put on the soundtrack? He's basically thought, what would these people be listening to? Yeah. And it becomes part of the character. I mean, my pers- my personal favourite of these kind of jukebox mo- movie soundtracks is, I'm, I was trying to think back w- uh, w- uh, to like, what would be the kind of, the almost like the grandfather of these, like, the, you know, when did this whole thing kick off? And maybe and if someone can correct me over email, but what, one of the ones I love the most is the American Graffiti, the George Lucas one. What's on that? Um, they, it's I mean, like it's, Beach Boys. It's and... like the Beach Boys. It's, it's loads of 50s rock and roll, basically. Right. Um, it's surf and rock. And lots basically. of soul, surf rock. And I mean, the whole the whole point of the film is like it's kids in cars listening to, to, to rock and roll on the radio and smooching and get, mm. going to diners and stuff. And the way that the the film is made, you know, one you'll you'll be you'll be in the in one car with one character listening to the music, and then the the you'll you'll kind of be taken across to another car, and the sound kind of merges across, and you hear what they're listening to, and it's it's like this kind of the whole film is essentially. You know, encapsulate this, this idea mm. of like a kind of youth soundtrack and like you know the the importance of music in mm. the kind of as a kind of lubricant for life. Yeah. It's it's it's, it's a, I think it's an amazing film. George best, Lucas best of George Lucas film. Yeah, whatever happened to him? Yeah, I don't know. He
1: just went missing, just disappeared. <laughs> yeah. But but that's a great example of a sound. I mean, that film was made twenty years or so after the fifties, but it perfectly captures the spirit of that time. In in a way which I think this film Guardians of the Galaxy two doesn't quite do that. I know it's it's a different kind of film and it's obviously set in a in a fictional future right. in space. I get that it's it's what Peter Quill is supposed to have grown it's up. actually listening a fictional to. present in space. Fictional present. Mm. I'm not convinced that the whole backstory of why he how he comes about these mixtapes. Yeah. Is is very sort of sweet and and it's a nice kind of character detail. I just think that there's a limit to how much you can kind of run with that. Uh and and I think I feel like the film has sort of run out with
2: ideas of how to actually use that. Just one thing about the Sony Walkman's used in this film. Mm. The prop master had to build them because they couldn't find any uh, intact Sony Walkmans, That's I can't amazing. believe that. I can't believe that.
1: I saw a great thing today which was uh Doritos, oh yeah, have teamed up with the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy people and they've they've brought out a limited run of Big bags of Doritos with uh, uh, essentially the soundtrack built into it, so you what? can you can plug your headphones into the bag, into the bag of Doritos, in, into the physical bag, and and walk along eating your nachos, and listen to the the, the soundtrack.
2: So the the bag of Doritos features an MP MP three player.
1: I don't know exactly how. There's some compartment inside whereby you plug your headphone jack in. Right.
0: I mean, it sounds like one of those things that people would talk about on a podcast, but never actually you know experience right. in reality. Yeah. yeah maybe if someone has experienced that. Yeah, actually, if you've
2: seen one of these Dorito bags, let us know. Uh, Next up, let's talk about a film that really doesn't have a a jukebox soundtrack, or indeed a soundtrack of any kind, and that's Lady Macbeth. (laughs) Oh, which, disappointingly, no relation to Shakespeare's Macbeth. It's not part of a series, Macbeth meet the in-laws, Macbeth family values. Yeah, like Abbott and Costello. Or exactly. Like that, yeah. yeah, none of that. This, uh, very much an adaptation of Nikolai Leskov's novella, Lady Macbeth of the Mtsensk, Mr- more recently remade. There was the Shostakovich uh, Ballet, I think, no? And then uh, the Yugoslav, 1962, Lady Macbeth of Siberia. Which we've all watched, yeah, yeah, we've all watched that. Anyway, this is from William Aldroyd. It features a pretty extraordinary Florence Pugh, uh, Cosmo Jarvis, Naomi Aki, Christopher Fairbank, Paul Hilton, in a pretty harrowing story about a young woman who is bought as a wife and essentially held almost captive in a country house.
0: Have you kept well?
2: I have. Thank you, sir.
0: You haven't been running the house in my absence. I have. That wasn't a question. Where's your husband? Wherever you put him.
2: I'm so sorry. It's not a cheery business, Adam. What was your take on this? I, I really like this
1: film. Um couldn't be probably more different to Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Um, it's a costume drama, I think, for people who may not necessarily like costume dramas, and you, you talk about the novella on which it's based, mm. which is obviously set in Russia, and this is this, the story is sort of moved to 19th century kind of Northumberland. I still think, even though Game of Thrones has been around for a long time, it's still nice seeing sort of regional accents in mm. in period dramas. Um, and yeah, it, it's a story of of a young woman who is brought into essentially quite an abusive relationship, and it's how that abuse is suppressed by her, um, and for reasons which we, we sort of won't spoil here she is sort of left to her own devices and it's how that abuse then manifests itself Mm. and how she passes it on
2: to the people around her. It's been a while since you've seen this, David. Is it all flooding back to you
0: now? Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, I think the Game of Thrones reference definitely feels appropriate. I mean, I remember watching it thinking it was kind of like almost like Game of Thrones fan fiction, but in in a good way, like, you know, someone had sort of spun off a character because it has that kind of that sort of hair trigger violence and that that sense that anything can happen and i mean the film sort of dramatically the film is set in this kind of country house and you know it's people in rooms with doors closed and then william oldroyd actually is from a theater background and you can kind of tell in the way that he sort of surprises you with people come entering through doors Mm. and you know suddenly um you know she'll go out into the into the barn and there'll be and she'll see some weird things happening out there mm. with the sort of stable hands and uh you know he he he, he that element of surprise works really well i think and yeah. uh and and i guess that game of thrones does have these kind of what well, i mean whatever you think of it i mean it it does have these quite intense brash performances and that are quite sort of how would you describe them they're quite meaty they're quite sort of the off- game of thrones yeah they but and and this wow. this one's more dialed back yeah but it still has that sort of sense that, you know, I think Game of Thrones is 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 a sort of series that gets that sort of discusses the idea that people can be really horrible to other people. Right. And I think th- that that carries over into Very into, so, into yeah. later. Very much. It's a,
2: it's interesting interesting this film in that it goes out of its way to be kind of unsympathetic as a viewing experience almost. There's no, we've talked about the fact there's no music. The the, mm. the 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 sound of the house is dialed up to make it actually quite a jarring listen. Uh, equally, the characters. Really don't do anything to any affection that they might build up. They don't do anything to retain it particularly. And and the figure of what's her name, of? Catherine, Catherine, right? The, the heroine mm. is really interesting figure. I mean, as you say, you don't want to spoil what happens, but the way that her being almost her nature being repressed, yeah, how then she deals with that, it, it's it, it's kind of fascinating.
1: What I love about this film is the the mystery around that character you don't really know anything of her backstory. You don't know kind of what she's been through. She's obviously a young woman in, in, in this very male-dominated world. Mm. Um, but there's not a sense that this is something that's entirely new to her in terms of her being in this in this house, into this, being brought into this marriage. Um, and yeah, I just love that sense of intrigue around who she is, where she's come from, um, what she's maybe capable of as well. I mean, you, you talk about how it kind of leaves that so open for so long in the film. Um, you're never really not sure what, what her next move is going to be or what she might do next. And actually, some sometimes she does things which are, are quite kind of shocking in their abruptness. Mm. And in in any other film or, or in a film like this, which maybe handled it in a different way, it, would, it, it could maybe seem a little bit farcical or absurd, but this totally feels like within the
2: characters. Uh, right. I th- abrupt is a great word for this film. Overall, then you really liked it
1: i, I really like this film probably fairly low expectations my anticipation for this would be a three i think first time to direct, writer director although florence Pugh, i mean she's she's someone who i think this is her first sort of lead role but um she really stood out in uh, a film called the falling carol morley film um, which I, I wasn't so hot on personally but the performance is amazing she's not really in it for very long not to kind of give anything away but she she in really sort falling. of stands out in the falling yeah. okay
2: she's going to be doing uh, the lead in fighting with my family it says here a film written by and directed by steven merchant It's uh, based on the life of professional wrestler page ah yeah her brother mm. is toby sebastian who plays tristan martell in game of thrones there you go. Oh, gee whiz. I didn't
1: actually know that. I
2: didn't know that either. Brilliant. Cosmo Jarvis is in it as, you know, farmhand, horny-handed, son of toil. Yeah. And not just his hands that are horny either. <laughs> Indeed. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, and he's a singer. I wasn't aware of that at all. So oh, basically, geez. your expectations
1: weren't wildly high. Weren't well, wildly high. I think, you know, going in, not really knowing what to expect from it. Right. Uh, but yeah, a four for me, and Ooh. same for retrospect, I think.
2: All right, four at the time and four afterwards. Yeah.
0: Right. David? So, yeah, my anticipation would, would be sort of moderate, I think. the um, I, I'd heard some good rumbles from the festival circuit. Cause mm. I think it played at, in Toronto and uh, in, at the end of last year and where it got a good, some good write-ups. So, yeah, I was quite eager to see it. So. All right. But, um, and then Enjoyment. I mean, this is a weird one because, like, you know, I, I like the film but wouldn't necessarily say it was an enjoyable experience. Yeah. And, I mean, that's when you kind of have to fudge fudge things a little bit. I mean... I probably, I probably give it again. It'd be like a three and a half, and I might, I might, I might say three would more, you rather than four. Would you for the uh,
2: airplane safety card for this one?
0: N- no, one. no, I probably would give this one another go on yeah. the, on the airplane. Okay. Yeah, Um I thought it was very good. Yes, but I'm not. It I didn't quite have that sort of transcendent yeah. quality that I need for it to sort of be very, very good. I okay,
2: think. It's, it's a very, it's a beautiful film to look at. Mm. The costumes, the furniture is amazing. If you like furniture you're going to love this film and it's lovely that's a poster quote there yeah if you yeah. love furniture and the framing the way it's shot i didn't know his theatrical background the, the director but it's, it's lovingly put together uh, like you i didn't have wild expectations although the trailer is quite dramatic and makes you think that yes it is period but it's it's going to do interesting things with the genre which it certainly does so i'd say a three going in i'd give it a four and I wouldn't really want to go back on that because nothing that I've thought of afterwards has made me think. Do you know, I think if anything, it's kind of brewed in my head this notion of the morals or, or absence thereof of, of
0: that story
2: structure. Huh. So, yeah, Lady Macbeth. Go see it.
0: I didn't give my in retrospect. Oh, did you not? I no. think you did.
2: What was your in retrospect? Oh,
0: I, I was going to say that in my in retrospect would probably be a bit higher. Four. Oh yeah, because actually, after having a bit of time to think about it, it's mm. I do think it is a really interesting depiction of a kind of female character who is kind of, I think that that character who's quite kind of mo- uh, you know morally slippery, shall we say, right, is is generally quite a male preserve in cinema, and it's really interesting that it's a gender fluid film mm. in a way. I think that it's playing playing with genders and and roles and things and interesting in that respect.
2: Certainly is interesting. All right, well, right, well, we're going to have another <laughs> little bit of drumming. You know, because we got him in. Mm. Uh, And then we're going to come back with a very exciting development, which is our Little White Lies Film Club, with a very special piece of movie making. And also, I get to go off on one about Fast and Furious 8, and you guys tell me what you're excited about right now.
1: Sure. Sounds good.
2: Right then, how about that Little White Lies Film Club? What's this about then, Adam?
1: So, Little White Lies is is all about helping people to discover more great movies. That's kind of our remit, I suppose. And yeah, I think it would be a good idea if we if we sort of offered up a film for people to to go away and watch. We're going to do the same thing mm-hmm. and then come back next week, discuss it briefly. Brilliant. What have you selected for us? So interestingly, James Gunn, Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 2 director, I saw a thing on Twitter where he'd responded to someone who was programming a screening event um, where they were showing, I think Guardians of the Galaxy two, and they'd asked James Gunn what films they should show beforehand. Like essentially, what influenced him in mm. this film, uh, and the films he 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 tweeted back were Flash Gordon. Right. So you went with Flash Gordon. Yeah. Well, Empire Strikes Back, and 2046, the One Car Y film. Right. So I think of those, you can maybe see a little bit more of the Flash Gordon and the and the Empire in in Guardians two, but 2046, I think, is a film which I certainly wouldn't have said going into this, this is going to be a kind of key James Gunn influence, so it is one of the most amazing films to
2: look at
0: like ever. Oh yeah, it's incredible. I remember originally going to see that in the uh, the Odeon Wardour Street, which is now no longer in existence, and it was just me and one other guy eating a kebab. So who, that was. Who was uh, eating a kebab? Uh, the other guy. I wasn't eating a kebab, it was the other guy. So right. I, I I, saw it in kind of smell-o-vision. Um, yeah. But. Um,
2: Tashimi wasn't he, eating Cantonese food. Cause, no,
0: that would have been nice. And especially, it's in Chinatown as well. Yeah. So it would have been, uh, you know, getting a kebab in that area would yeah. have actually been a, so harder. He would have had to go that.
2: out of his way to get that. Yes. 2046, just for anyone who's wavering, could you sell it to them, David?
0: It's the um, uh, Wai sequel, uh, unofficial sequel to In the Mood for Love. Uh, it's I guess it's a more ambitious, surreal, cerebral experience. It's got his kind of trademark extraordinary visuals. It's a it's a love story set inside the mind of an author, and it just sort of hops around all these different genres. And it's it's a kind of a, a kind of brain melter, but in a, in a really good way.
2: Right. So the plan is that we would invite you, listener, to go away and if you, if you have a chance to see this, it's certainly available on, on Amazon or perhaps you can pick up a, a DVD copy somewhere, then next week we'll have a bit of a chat. Yeah.
0: Yeah? And then also have another recommendation for the following week. Okay,
2: something appropriate Daisy to next week's it. films. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Our Twitter address is at LWLies. The website is, Adam? It's
1: LWLies.com.
2: Bingo. Or you can email us at, and this is where it gets complicated, I've lost the piece of paper. Do you remember the address?
1: I do. It's uh, Truth of Movies. All one word. All one word. No ampersand. Uh, at tcolondon.com.
2: Finger. Um, I went to see Fast and Furious 8 this week Oof. and that only served to kind of Why did you do that? I, I was curious and um, also I liked three of the f- first seven That's less than half yeah, but the 7 itself, and you know, potentially this is to do with the fact that tragically Paul Walker had died and there was that rather touching scene at the end of 7, which I think left every... It invested this series, this deeply silly series, with a certain emotional significance, mm. which I think people have brought into the new one, which is possibly why, and crazy stat here, it's had the opening weekend that it had. Yeah, Fast and Furious 8 actually made more
1: money on its opening weekend than The Force Awakens. I, I don't know the exact figure to hand. We'll have to we'll have to
2: find that out. Are you sure about that? I'm. I, yeah, I, that is yeah, yeah, very. Yeah,
0: the Force Awakens. No, yeah. I, I simply refuse to believe that. <laughs>
2: but the, <laughs> the... apparently it's true, David. It's extraordinary, isn't and, it? Until, it...
0: until Universal Studio head is is telling it to me to my face, I, I won't believe it.
2: I've got the numbers now. Uh oh. Yeah. So, the Force Awakens 529 million worldwide in its opening weekend, which is impressive. Fast and Furious Eight. so that's like three and a half million more. It's tight, but more people got excited and went to to see the new Fast and Furious film than the first new proper Star Wars film in decades. Now, it's, you know, fair enough, horses for courses and it's a matter of taste, but it's rare that I come out of a film so... Do you know that feeling when you feel that you've actually been insulted by the, the filmmakers, that it was essentially insultingly bad? And that's very much why I'm still, oh my goodness... I have to get something off my chest about this. I I, I don't want to go on about it. There are one or two good bits. None of them involve Vin Diesel because we were talking about the chemistry and the casting of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Mm. The casting of this, I find it astonishing that eight movies on, they've not realised that Michelle Rodriguez and, and Vin Diesel are just charisma deficits. There is literally nothing that's interesting or charismatic think... or sympathetic about them. And there's a couple of interesting set pieces, the remote piloted cars, the kind of swarm of them in Manhattan's good, and there's a kind of, I imagine a homage to Battleship Potemkin that, that, that um, Jason that the state uh, yeah. reenacts in an airplane. But you know, see that on YouTube if you can, because it just it upsets me that I have contributed to the you know the funding of this creatively, morally, artistically bankrupt. Wow. Uh, movie, which features another bad performance from Helen Mirren. I know she's a great actress, but she's really made some stinking appearances on film. I
1: will say that was the low point for me. And in fact, she kind of did this before in a film called Red I was a say, few years ago. Yeah. So it didn't really come as, you know, it didn't really feel fresh or, or particularly funny.
2: Yeah, it's like no uh, one wants to say, uh, Helen, that was actually really bad because yeah. it's Helen Mirren. I think this film, though,
1: you, you said that it hasn't kind of realised how bad pe- some of the actors are. right. For me, it relegates the the original cast members, and Dwayne Johnson is now MVP, and right. and there's no messing, and he is like the future of the franchise. And, it, and they basically the state. Put, and the state who actually he he is he's is extremely funny. The state, I yeah. mean, I, I don't know. If there's anyone. The Rock has a very different kind of uh, gives a very different kind of action comedy mm. performance, but Statham as a sort of go to hard man, you wouldn't you wouldn't really expect it from him.
0: One of my things on Statham is I think that he is an extraordinary film actor and and he he has that rare thing of like he's in a i think he's in a lot of bad films right but i always like him in them did you see wild card his las vegas uh i I didn't see that oh it's a great film oh maybe i did
2: see that where he takes people out by flicking cards at them at one point
0: oh no but that 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 sounds perfect yeah i mean it i mean that's what he should be doing absolutely and And have you have you seen
2: crank Two: high voltage no i haven't Right. The premise there, though, is fascinating. He's got a, a drug in him which, if his heart rate slows, will kill him.
1: Jason Statham essentially has a car battery for a heart that he needs to recharge. Right. Uh, periodically, and uh, but but I mean that's that's the premise itself is sort of intriguing, but the film is just totally bonkers. Okay.
2: And uh, yeah, just watch it. Hmm. Uh, going back to your your quite valid point that the filmmakers have spotted the fact that Vin Diesel's a bit of a bust, etc believe that this week they've announced all plans have surfaced for there to be a spin-off uh jason Statham, and, and the rock fast and, they're going to get their own movie basically oh, those right. characters and that's not going to be fast and furious 9 i don't know whether it'll be canon right or or not where it will
0: exist in the fast Fur- and
2: furious F F A F canon yeah but this one is effing bad i wouldn't go and see it not if you paid me again <laughs> um on an anyway. airplane on an airplane. <laughs> just before we finish off, we've got 2046 for next week. Anything else that's got you guys excited at the moment?
0: Uh well, I guess that I'm uh, just prior to coming here, um there was a release of a new poster for a for a forthcoming uh, Wes Anderson film, oh. which is always always an exciting prospect called called Isle of Dogs. Right. I don't think it has anything to do with the Post Pub Rock Isle of Dogs. It's, or or the,
2: the actual place. The, the actual photos. place is yeah. down the river, yeah. yeah.
0: Or maybe it does, I don't know, it's not been made yet. It, it would be yet, just so like him. It, I, I, it, would, it wouldn't surprise me if it was. But I, looking at the cast,
2: there's nothing there that says to me that it's based in Docklands or anything. No, um, no, no. It is an extraordinary cast. I can't remember, you guys mentioned this, I just called it up, and there was an audible gasp from me when I read Scarlett Johansson, Jeff Goldblum, Brian Cranston, Tilda Swinton, Edward Norton, Liv Schreiber, Bill Murray, Francis McDormand, Greta Gerwig, Gerwig sorry, Kara uh, Haywood, Yoko Ono. Yeah, you have wow. got to have a villain, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, th- this is
1: so we should say it's a it's a stop motion is animation it? film. So it's it's it, I don't know if you've seen Fantastic Mr. Fox. I have. So it's it's I guess in the same vein as that. Mm-hmm. Um, I would imagine most of those people will will have minor parts. And uh, it's being
0: it's actually been made in England in the UK. Yeah. Right. Okay. Been, so the production is happening right right under our noses. Wow.
1: But I'm I'm of the the belief that Fantastic Mr. Fox is one of Anderson's best. Really. Um, so it's pretty exciting seeing him go back to this medium.
0: So yeah, anticipation is is, is top whack for this one. Five. Super.
2: All right. Well, of course, another sequel that's in the works is Truth and Movies Part Two, <laughs> which release date of potentially sometime around next Wednesday. We hope. We anticipation. Hope. Well, that, that'll be up we'll to, the listeners, to the listeners, I guess. Listeners, yeah.
1: yeah. I think we're going to be talking about Mindhorn. Mindhorn. Which is a comedy. So they say. British comedy. The
2: trailer suggests otherwise, and I'm actually going to be seeing it tonight. Yeah, you're, I, s- you're still sceptical, aren't you? I certainly yeah. am.
0: Let's not say anything about it, though, to, to prolong the magic of our analysis next right.
2: week. Right, OK. Anyway, this has been the very first ever Truth and Movies A Little White Lies podcast featuring uh, Adam Woodward and David Jenkins and myself. Uh, many thanks to everyone at 7Digital for putting it together. And as we say, we should be back in a week's time. So have a super time, all of you. Until then.
0: Instant Glam. Visit Impressbeauty.com/slash press on and use code Presson25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press on falsies.
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less in similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus,